How are you doing today? Hey, Robin, it's a great day today. I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Last week of quarter, people are excited, numbers being yes. closed, everyone's happy. And Cato has recently secured another $238 million of investment, putting wow. us at $3.1 billion valuation. Not That's too shabby company. for the only true sassy company, but... I would say so. Absolutely. Hey. But I'm not here to brag. You know, business is often a gamble. And gambling, you have winners and losers. You do. And on the topic of gambling, I know that MGM have recently been in the news. What's happened, Bill? Boy, so they certainly have been in the news. Not only uh, MGM Resorts, but a little bit of associated news with Caesars Entertainment certainly seems like Las Vegas is under the gun. But you're absolutely right, Robin. MGM Resorts went off the air, essentially, uh, for about 10 days while they attempted to mitigate a cyber attack. And as news has continued to come to light, we find out that they may have been the victims of the same that managed to extort quite a bit of money from Caesars Entertainment. I think the last number I saw was around 15 million US dollars, Robin. Mm -hmm. So it uh, looks like all of a sudden Vegas is under attack. And listen, we would love to say it's because of the Black Hat Conference or DEF Conference. <laughs> right. But we have a threat actor who is claiming responsibility. And of course, law enforcement is engaged. But the threat actor, if folks haven't heard about it, is someone claiming the name Scattered Spider. Have you heard of Scattered Spider, Robin? Oh, I've heard a little about Scattered Spider. But for those who are initiated, who are they? Yeah, so that's a good question. We don't know exactly who they are. Now, there have been some who have tried to analyze not only their methods of attack, but also some of the artifacts that come from those attacks. And they've tried to break them down into age groups. I, I saw somewhere that they thought it was a group of youths between 15 and 21 years old. Again, a lot of speculation going on. Certainly speculation in terms of where they're from, uh, where the attacks may be originating. But they do have a pretty specific fingerprint on the way that they operate. So I thought maybe what we could do today, Robin, is talk about how Scattered Spider works, who are some of their associates, uh, or maybe more to the point, uh, of whom are they associates, and how do they actually carry out their attacks? Uh, and, and maybe even dig, I don't know, you want to dig a little deeper today, Robin? Maybe we actually get into some some questions of the miter attack footprint and and maybe we can even talk a little bit about how this could happen to an organization like MGM Resorts that has so much money uh how how did they manage to breach what do you think is that does that make that, sense that today? sounds great i'll get my hard hat and harness and we'll start spelunking let's go deep <laughs> let's go deep so i, I know it. i know a lot of the vegas resorts they've extorted me for many dollars over the years with the as you mentioned black hat defcon regional right. events so yeah let, let's go deep so where, okay. should we, where should we start yeah we have to understand robin that las vegas doesn't run the way that it does because of all the winners that they create <laughs> right so we have to understand listen you know scattered spider very interesting they're not new on the scene we, we've been aware of them for a couple years and there are various designations of their name but obviously with the recent new scattered spider is is kind of the one that that seems to be sticking broadly uh 
Let's let's talk about how they work. Scattered Spider knows what so many of us already know when it comes to vulnerabilities, and that is that the end user is probably the most vulnerable part of of what they they seek to uh, to exploit. So they do. They they tend to go for the endpoint. Uh, the thing here is that we are starting with social engineering attacks. Ugh, here we go again, right? <laughs> so how are they specifically doing it? Well, they they are using you know uh, mechanisms like Telegram. So getting on Telegram, potentially impersonating folks, but they're also doing some smishing. Are you familiar with smishing, Robin? What the heck is smishing? Well, smishing, vishing, and fishing are all a cacophony of somebody trying to extract or extort your data. Effectively, right. different paths to socially engineer. That's so right. What, what have they been doing in this world of smishing? Yeah, so in smishing, they are attempting to redirect users. So what they do is they impersonate an IT department, for example, and they may send a message over text. Uh, for those who don't know what SMS is, I think we we all use it, but we may not know it. So they will send a text. Text, text, yeah. text. CSV files to each other, yeah? Yeah. No. <laughs> I think we're going to have to get to that at some point, Come, come on, Bill. Most of the millennial and Gen Zs out there have never sent a text in their life. It's all oh. through Telegram, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, TikTok right. direct messages, and 35,000 other types of e-transport. Boy, I tell you, I, we could have a discussion all in, in just in that particular <laughs> uh, vein. But yeah, you know, the, the truth of the matter is a lot of folks still use SMS, right? It's it's part and parcel of their daily function. And so they may, for example, be fished via SMS to go to what appears to be a corporate site. Um, hey, this is IT calling. There's some sort of an issue, right, that the impersonation begins. This is IT. We need you to go here and we we need you to log in because there may be a potential compromise. And of course, they have a site that looks just like a corporate site. Uh, there's your fish, right? Then they get a hold of credentials. The other thing that they're doing, and this is not unusual either, we're starting to see this more and more, is what's referred to as a SIM swap. SIM swaps are fun, right? <laughs> so what what do I do with a SIM swap? Well, if I'm a threat actor, what I would do is I would go and impersonate you. And I would basically say, hi, my name is Robin Johns. You can tell from my stunning good looks. Uh, I've had a problem. I know. I, I've, I've had an issue with this phone. Can I please get a, a, a SIM card for my replacement phone? And if the if the carrier or the person at the carrier or even one of the third party providers for some of these carriers, you got to think about that, Robin, mm -hmm. they will uh, literally change your SIM over. And, and what good does that do? Well, now I potentially have access to two factor authentication. There's an awful lot of people, Robin, for, you know, doing logins and so forth that use SMS for two factor authentication. And uh, and your Uncle Bill wants to recommend something. Don't do that. That's a really, really dangerous way to do two-factor authentication, right? First of all, SMS is not encrypted. It's just not. Uh, but but even if it were encrypted, if I can swap SIMs, now I have the ability to intercept that traffic for two-factor authentication. So between having your credentials and your second factor, I've got gotcha. you. Mm -hmm. The other one that they will use if you're not using SMS, if you're one of those smart folks who uses, say, an Okta or the like, um, they will execute an attack 
that's known as MFA fatigue. Help our listeners, Robin. What's MFA fatigue? I'm going to keep spamming in you until you click that accept button. Please accept, go. please accept, please accept. Just like my kids when they want some candy. Please, can I, please, can I, please? And eventually, you just get worn down so much like a rock that's in right. a stream. You just that's get right. away. That's right. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, Robin. So the lesson here is if you use a, uh, you know, an, another multi-factor authentication solution, um, and there's there's many of them out in the market space, if you start getting spammed for, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, verify that it's you, don't get tired of it and simply click accept. I know that's the temptation when your phone is buzz, 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 buzz. Is this you? Is this you? Don't do that. That should be cause right away to contact your IT department because that means somebody has gotten your credentials or is attempting to change your credentials potentially and it's trying to verify that it's you by hitting that second factor, right? Something you have. We, we always talk about multi-factor authentication. Something you know, something you have, something you are. And there's a couple others, right? Somewhere you are, something you do. But don't hit accept. If it starts going off and you yourself know that you're not trying to change something or get in somewhere, call somebody. Don't simply hit accept. But they, this is what Scattered Spider will do is they'll they'll do that multi-factor authentication fatigue, hoping that at some point you're going to hit yes. And then they've got you, right? Mm -hmm. Then they're in. So that's kind of the initial access portion. And that is a specialty of Scattered Spider, right? They're just very good at it. They use those social engineering techniques. They'll try to fish you. They'll impersonate. They will try to do MFA fatigue and essentially get in. Now, once they're in, they have to start establishing certain uh, priorities in order to, to get into the environment. Now, most organizations and even many uh, private individuals will run some sort of endpoint protection. So call it anti-malware, uh, you know, call it EDR, uh, endpoint detection or responses, any number of abbreviations. So uh, I, I promised we were going to go a little deep here. We, we, we're going to have to get to that point now. So there, there's really kind of two items that Scattered Spider likes to use in order to uh, to try to kill that detection software, to try to kill that anti-malware. The first thing that they'll use is something called Portry, P-O-O-R-T-R-Y. This is actually a malicious driver. And the whole point behind this malicious driver is to give it enough privileges that it can kill any of that anti-malware, right? That, that, that may happen to be running. And it's really interesting the way that they get this in there. Uh, the, it, it actually is a supply chain compromised driver, right? That's So the driver is malicious in that it kills endpoint protection. But the, the reason that it gets through, particularly on the Microsoft Windows platform, is that it is a signed driver. So it's signed by the Microsoft Windows hardware compatibility, authentic code signature, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so the, the point is, the supply chain has been compromised. Is this new, Robin? Have we have we ever seen this supply chain compromise oh, thing before? Many, many times. Just go back and listen to our back catalog of how yeah. you can easily be breached. 
because once you get that supply chain compromise, you're effectively taking a trusted party, a trusted advisor with right. all the right labels and wrappings and everything looks great. But what you're being sold is a duplicate. You might think you're mm. buying that Gucci handbag and you open it up and everything looks Gucci, but the label's slightly askew. You've actually been right. sold a replica, a, a fake. But in like, well, it's not just about making money and selling replicas. Once your supply chain has been compromised, you open the door to so many more vulnerabilities. That's now, right. With this issue, if it's a, comp a compromised driver, shouldn't anti-malware tamper protection really kick in or does it go one level deeper? Well, it does. It does go that one level deeper because keep in mind that a driver gets kernel level access. And that's dangerous because kernel level access is privileged access. So it can even subvert that. It's funny, Robin, you're, you're absolutely right about supply chain compromise. Probably one of the biggest ones in recent memory is the solar winds compromise. That was a supply chain compromise, you know, and, and, and when you think supply chain compromise, what you're thinking about is trusting the supply chain. But the supply chain gets disrupted by a threat actor. You just continue to let it in. It's the same thing that we're talking about with Portry. Uh, we've even seen examples of Portry that are literally signed by NVIDIA certificates. So if you're not familiar, right, NVIDIA is massive in terms of graphics cards and and even used in some some you know high performance computer clusters and so forth so uh it does it, it sort of subverts that in the fact that it is signed it's trusted because you are automatically trusting it okay it goes ahead and lets it in now it, by itself it's a little bit difficult to still to kind of get that in. So there's another piece to the puzzle called Stone Stop. Stone Stop is, it's a loader, it's an orchestrator. So that's what actually loads the poor try, um, you know, malicious driver and, and gets it, it into that level where all of a sudden it has privileged access. There's even another one and not everybody's talking about this. And this is going to lead us down another path, Robin. <laughs> but there's another piece that can potentially be utilized to pull in Portry, and that is Black Lotus. What the heck is Black Lotus? Black Lotus is a UEFI boot kit. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is a UEFI boot kit? You, you want to give this one a shot, Robin? What, what's Well, let's start. What's UEFI? I forget what it stands for, but I remember staring at many old flashing UEFI bootloaders and GPT bootloaders and That's thinking, right. God dang it, why can't I get this OS to install? A, right. ru a runtime bootloader, effectively, compromising right. your device before your OS even gets started. Bio you nailed optimized. it. Yes, that, perfect. Most people would think of it in, in an old term called BIOS, right? So it's it's that part when you first boot up a computer that is responsible for, well, you know, not only making sure everything is up and running from a hardware perspective, but that's the piece that then kicks off the operating system loader. So if I can compromise before I ever get to the operating system level, then I can potentially either load this malicious driver or heck, I might even just short circuit the entire thing and boot it in a mode where that endpoint protection never comes up. And, and where this comes to play now, I'm, I'm going to use a term here that's not my term. I didn't create this. But where this comes to play, for example, is in something known as an evil made attack. Now, if you're not familiar with an evil made attack, normally when I say that, when I'm talking to folks, they think, what 
what on earth are you talking about? So the easiest way to, to give the example is how it got its namesake. If you've ever stayed in a hotel room, right? You're traveling for business, you're traveling for pleasure, and you bring along your laptop and you utilize your laptop, but it's time to go out and see the sites. Most people will simply, hopefully, shut off their laptop and leave it on the desk, close it up, right? Because that way nobody can log into it. The evil maid attack gets its name because threat actors will literally give malicious USB sticks to the housekeeping staff and pay them to plug the USB stick into the computer and power it on, wait until it does its magic, and then power it back off. No kidding, right? So Black Lotus is one of those things that that can actually do that uh, and, and multiple ways that you can load that up. So beware the, you know, the leaving the laptop on the table, that's, that's potentially dangerous. But again, these are methods that Scattered Spider is using to get that kind of kernel level access to drop the processes. I, I, I did have opportunity to hear a system engineer for a, a particular endpoint protection solution. And we got into, a, it was a pretty good discussion uh, over, over some adult beverages. And I said, you know, well, you know, how does your solution protect against threat actors whose first, you know, order of business when they compromise the endpoint is to drop your product, right? To, to literally kill off your product. And his response to me was, they can't do that. They don't do that. <laughs> Are you a gambling man? Would oh. you like to go to Las Vegas, right? Would you like to, to talk to the folks at MGM? Come on. I how, mean, na how naive. It's I know it's very it's trivial. It's almost trivial to do. Well, we have these protections and so forth. My suspicion was the individual just didn't have the depth and and didn't understand that uh, anything can be dropped like that. So uh, endpoints are very very um, mutable, shall we say? Indeed, this is why a lot of people are moving towards thin clients. It's why Chromebooks are becoming even more popular. But even yeah. that, if that's compromised and you have your UEFI or your BIOS uh, bootloader messed up yeah those yeah. thin terminals are still an attack surface it's they are of it just being a fully oh sorry after you oh no no i i'm sorry to mean to interrupt you robin but you you kind of uh I, I i love what you said just now because the next step in the process is to establish persistence and and one of the ways that scattered spider establishes persistence is you talked about desktops uh but but they'll they'll utilize a virtual desktop infrastructure. So you talk about thin clients, you 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 talk about that being protection, they know that too. Mm -hmm. So they will potentially if they get in and they find that we're in a, a thin client scenario, they will go after the virtual desktop infrastructure and establish a malicious virtual desktop, which again, if we're setting up defense in depth for an organization, we're going to figure, well, our virtual desktops, those are okay. You can let those do what they want to do. Yeah. So you're right. And the threat actors know it too, right? Yeah. For, for most Maybe. people aren't aware, Windows has a built-in sandbox. So any Windows device, you can go into your add and remove programs feature and just enable sandboxing. So you don't right. have to install VMware or any of the other virtualization platforms. That's Windows right. comes with sandboxing and virtual machines included. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it is. But, you know, going back to that, that establishing persistence. So again, we've got the initial access taken care of. Uh, 
And now we're going to try to establish persistence. And there's a reason we want to establish persistence. The first one and the most obvious is that, you know, I, I don't feel like working for 72 hours straight in order to compromise, right? I, I might want to be able to disconnect and come back. In fact, it's wise to do that because if you have this long-term connection, you, you as a threat actor, you you risking exposing yourself. Right. Uh, and nobody wants threat actors exposing themselves. Uh, but, but, you know, there there we are. Right. Let's establish that persistence. And the way that Scattered Spider is doing it, in addition to what we talked about, you know, setting up virtual desktops uh, that are that are compromised, they'll use normally acceptable remote access pieces of software like team viewer or uh, or log me in right mm -hmm. these are these are legitimate typically if an organization uses those you're going to see that as approved traffic on a firewall right or a secure web gateway you're you're going to see that as legit so even if somebody's watching out what they're going to see is oh it's just team viewer we would expect that everything's fine so that that's the way to utilize legitimate utilities in order to establish that persistence, you know, I, I know it's very sexy to talk about root kits and and all those good things, but uh, again, I mean, why why reinvent the wheel if if you're able to get an account in TeamViewer? And I know I keep picking on TeamViewer. The reason I I keep talking about it is not because TeamViewer is necessarily vulnerable, but the fact is when we when we look at the threats that we are are monitoring as an organization. TeamViewer there's generates a lot of traffic, a lot of flows. So it it's it's a big one and, and it could be used. That makes so. sense because uh, you know it's never good to talk positive about other vendors, but the user experience in a team viewer is so easy. Lightweight EXE, here's a nine-digit character, a string you type in, whoosh, you have access. That's All right. you need to do is go onto YouTube and look for like scammer payback videos and just see <laughs> like people recording them. Like contacting call centers, downloading the file, watching what they do. Team view is great, but then with that simplicity comes this level of risk, especially right. if you have that implicit trust with who you're dealing with. It it goes back to trust again. So I, I've I've now established my persistence, which means I can come back now. Why establish persistence? Well, I've I've still got more tasks to complete. So far, all I've done is managed to uh, add myself as a trusted user, even though I'm, I'm a threat actor. But my next step is, I mean, your laptop, for example, might have some good stuff on it, but I want the really good stuff, right? Because chances are, I'm not going to extort you, Robin, for $15 million. I know you only have 13 and a half million. So yeah, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not worth the effort. I'm working on it, Bill. I'm working we'll on it one day. We'll get there. Yeah, I get you. I get you. But I'm going to want to do lateral movement, right? This is kind of the normal progression of events, which means I'm going to try to branch from your system out into other systems. And there's a few ways I can do that. Um, you know, I, I may want to escalate my privileges. And, and a lot of times I can do that by checking to see if maybe you're a member of a domain admin group or, you know, I, I can dump credentials out pretty quickly from something like a Mimikatz or, or any number of ways. Right. But I, I want to start slowly moving through the environment and, and scattered spider is known to be good, not only at moving laterally through kind of a, a, a you know, what we might call an on-prem infrastructure, but they're really good at Azure. Uh, we, we've actually observed them. They're very good at traversing Azure. Um, so they, they've got the skill set there, right, to, to be able to move laterally, even through the cloud. 
And what am I moving laterally for? A couple things, right? Number one, I'm looking for the valuable data. Number two, I'm looking for potentially additional credentials, right? I'm trying to open up as many ways in as I can. And and I'm going to see if you can make a guess. What do you think the tool is that Scattered Spider uses to actually do that lateral movement? Is it a simple robocopy or SCP? Well, they, they certainly could do that. And, and that is very much a living off the land approach, right? Doing, using some of those commands, but their big one is simply RDP, right? They simply oh, that, use that remote desktop, right? So, so far, everything about the scattered spider attack seems very basic. Like nothing here is really complex or technical. That's it right. just seems like anybody with the intent and a little bit of research time can achieve this which is yeah. kind of scary. Hopefully there's more technical stuff coming in the future. Oh. If not, then <laughs> MGM and other resorts, well, there's some employee education required. Uh, boy. Let's, let's continue on. <laughs> yeah, well said. No, and you know, there, there's rationale behind this, Robin, as you, you already understand. I, I want to use remote desktop because that's probably an approved application in the environment. So this is... You know, as a threat actor, I'm keeping my evil intent secure by simple obscurity. Hey, I'm just using a remote desktop, right? RDP, that protocol, usually accepted. So that is the one that they tend to use to move laterally. But as you said, there's other ways that they can do that, right? You can use WMI. There's uh, any any number of ways. This is simply what we've observed uh, that, that Scattered Spider uses. Now, I've got my credentials. I've established persistence. I've started moving laterally through the environment and I have found the good stuff, the, the good stuff, right? The, 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 the things that I want to begin to operate on. And this is where ransomware comes in because again, ransomware is, is typically used for financial purposes. And in our case, we have a double extortion. So single extortion um, when it comes to ransomware is I've encrypted your files, give me money and I'll give you the key. That's single extortion. Mm -hmm. Then there's double extortion. Number one, give me the money and I'll give you the key. But the second part of the extortion is if you don't give me the money, I'm going to expose your data on the web. That's the double. And there's actually a triple. And I, I think we've talked about this, but the triple extortion is now I go to your end users or your customers whose data has been compromised and say, look, they're not paying the ransom. We're going to expose the data. But if you send us $100, we won't expose yours. That's the triple extortion. Typically, we're looking at a double extortion with Scattered Spider. Now, Scattered Spider so far has really served as sort of that initial access organization, right? And that lateral movement, I found my good stuff. Now we want to do ransomware. And, and this is where we made allusion to this at the outset. Actually, Scattered Spider is an associate of Black Cat. Mm -hmm. Now, what is Black Cat? Who is Black Cat? Black Cat is well known as a ransomware as a service provider. They make the ransomware. So, at this point, Scattered Spider pulls in Black Cat ransomware. Now, we'll talk a little bit further about the, you know, that, that whole process of them pulling it in. But what is Black Cat ransomware? 
Well, first of all, it's written in Rust. If you're not familiar with Rust, Rust is a cross-platform, let's call it a programming language for, for lack of a better term, which means it runs just about everywhere. Now, in order for this ransomware written in Rust to run, you have to have what is called a token. It's a it's actually a 32-bit token. What what on earth is, what what is a token? Why would you need a token in order to run ransomware? You have any idea, Robin? Hmm. Why do you need keys to start a car? Right. <laughs> Pretty much same question. You want to be yeah. in control of what happens. It's all about the power. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and actually the way the way Black Cat does it is if you become an associate of theirs and they're going to supply you with the ransomware that you want to use, you have to quote unquote buy a token. This is how Black Cat makes their money. And typically the way you buy that, it's not like you swipe a credit card for them. You may negotiate. If I'm a threat actor like Scattered Spider, I may negotiate with Black Cat and say, we will give you 15% of the ransom that we extort if we can use your ransomware. And Black Cat will say, yes, we have an agreement. Here you go. And here's your token. Now you can actually run the software. And this is a model that everybody knows, Bill. Scattered Spider, they're a managed service provider. Right, Cat, they are your your vendor. Effectively, right. you have a vendor partner relationship with approved discounts and rev rec, and all deals have to be booked accordingly. This is just the world of regular business, but with a shadier hat, one yeah. maybe a darker shade of black. Yeah, it's it's true, and and there's there's even an advertising budget because uh, Black Cat, also it's they're also known as Alpha V. Uh, actually advertised that, hey, we were the ones that worked with Scattered Spider to do MGM and Caesars Entertainment, right? So you're, you're <laughs> very right about this, Robin. This is something that we know. And as far as the mechanism of Black Cat, now we're, we're going to start getting a, a pretty technical here. So just a warning for, for you know, the users. And I, I'm probably even going to share some screens out here momentarily, Robin, uh, just to, to kind of talk about it. But he, here's sort of how it works. So Black Cat also attempts to do some privilege escalation by, by doing some UAC bypass on COM interfaces. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's let's unpack that. First of all, what is UAC? Look, if you if you work on the the Windows platform and you've ever tried to execute something and it says, "Hey, this is attempting to do such and such. Are you okay with that?" and you have to hit approve, that's that's UAC, right? That's user account control. That is a mechanism that Microsoft put in place in the Windows platform to avoid threat actors being able to automatically do things with privilege, even though we've seen that there's ways that that can be bypassed as well. So Black Cat actually tries to get around that because we're going to start working much higher in in the operating system stack at this point. So they'll use a comm interface, a communications interface that, that is unprotected, that typically has privileged level of access, and they will use that to bypass that window popping up on the system so that you know there's a threat actor in there, right? Hey, I'm about to do, uh, you know, encryption of your files. Do you accept? You don't want that window coming up, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm being facetious, but so, so that's the first thing that they'll do is they'll bypass user account control, call it privilege escalation. Then on the on the disks themselves, and you get what I mean by disks. I don't care if it's spinning rust or it's SSDs or whatever it is. 
But in the operating system within Windows, they have this concept of volume shadow copies. So these are essentially hidden little pointers that literally you can roll back your file system if something bad happens. Why? Why would they want to delete those? Why would they want to delete file system rollback, Robin? Well, if you delete the rollback, then it's easy to undo all of the nasty work. That's Why right. should I pay your ransom when I can just lose two weeks of work and still have business as usual? And just roll back. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So they're going to want to delete those because they don't want you. And if you know, if you're if you're super conservative and you you take those those snapshots every day, you've only lost a day's worth of work. You're certainly not going to pay this massive ransom for that. You're going to chalk it up as a loss and move on. And and Black Hat doesn't want that to happen. So first they delete all those copies. Uh, and then of course they're they're going to try to tamper with event logs and, and do some event stomping and so forth. But here's where the fun stuff starts, uh, where, where we're going to start encrypting. So Black Hat uses AES, right? The advanced encryption standard. They use AES-128. So analysis of the malware shows that they generate a random symmetric key. Boy, we could do a whole program on symmetric versus asymmetric keys, right? Ooh, that might be fun. Oh. Yeah, right. So they generate the key with, with AES. And, and AES uh, and, and symmetric key encryption, it's very fast, right? So once they generate their encryption key, they begin the encryption process. And then they that encryption key, they will actually exfiltrate that to one of their command and control servers using their public RSA key. That's an asymmetric key. So they generate the key, they start the encryption process, and they exfiltrate the key. Why do they exfiltrate the key? Well, they don't want to leave the key on the system. If they leave the key on the system, then you can decrypt your files, right? Symmetric key encryption means the key used to encrypt can also decrypt versus asymmetric, which is a key pair. One key is used to encrypt, the other key is used to decrypt. And they, you know, the two cannot be derived necessarily from each other. So they will exfiltrate that. And, you know, Robin, they're, they're smart about it because when they exfiltrate that to their command and control server, they have a tendency to hard code the IP address. Why is that smart? You can just kill that IP address. You can remove that IP address or you have the authentication control. If you if things are hard coded, it's easier to work with it, work around it, and also well, hide if needs be. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, when we even think about the defense in depth solution that we try to bring to the market, DNS reputation is a is a very important control, right? And if we if we do a DNS query out to our command and control server, and it's you know low reputation or it's been created in the last 14 days, it's going to get intercepted. It's going to get sinkholed, and now I can't get the data out of the environment. If I hard code my IP address, no DNS necessary. I just don't need it, right? There, there's no need, no reputation checks, no, no, none of that. So uh they will do that. In so in I'm sorry, go ahead. Bill, I saw a very in very exciting piece of malware out in the field last week where somebody yeah. had a dynamic IP address. It was a regular website as a command and control server. And that were, had a good popularity. It was categorized in uh, Bright Cloud or Web Roots, Bright Cloud as business and everything was good. However, behind that initial DNS was a squid proxy leading to legitimate and illegitimate services. That's so right. just saying that even though we're blocking all the bad stuff, there's still a chance people might be hiding in plain sight. So sorry, yeah. Bill, interrupted you. It was 
just popped to the top of my mind there. It's such a great point. And, and we're going to talk more about that when we get to kind of the miter footprint of scattered spider, right there, there you can mitigate, but this is a race. This is always a race, right? It's, it's, it's you, whether you want to call it good guys versus bad guys, whether you want to call it corporations against threat actors or nation state actors, it is constantly a race. So, you know, they're really, and I think about this in terms of what we might refer to as a legacy appliance model, even in a legacy appliance model where you've literally got hardware sitting somewhere that's trying to protect you, you have to go through the constant work of updating. Listen, you have to do that with endpoints, with laptops, with desktops, where you're constantly patching. This is a race where we're constantly going back and forth on this all the time. So. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there there are ways that you know threat actors they they get smarter and smarter. Really, what we're trying to get to, uh, at least initially, is eliminate the eighty percent of the easy stuff, the easy attacks, right? The script kitties or or the stuff that's commodity on the market. Uh, but that's very important in in part of this conversation because. You know, if we get back to what Scattered Spider is doing, so they've they've already they're encrypting, they're exfiltrating data for the you know for the the second part of of the double extortion, right? They're exfiltrating so they can potentially broadcast it, and then of course they they do they create a file that they then set as the wallpaper, right, on the system, so that a wallpaper pops up and says, "Hey, your stuff has been encrypted. Here's the Tor. You know, you, you have to get a Tor browser, and and you can communicate this way, and our demands, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, establish that communication with the victim. Um, so we we've kind of essentially gone all the way through. If you want to use the Lockheed Martin kill chain, which great two dimensional uh, keychain or kill chain, uh, you know, we've gone all the way to actions on objectives. Right, we're we're all the way over there, and. Uh, and game over, literally, right? Slot machine over or <laughs> whatever the case may be, we're, we're at game over. So this raises a few questions. And and the, these have been asked uh, of, of me multiple times when it comes to ransomware. And I'm, Robin, I'm going to share my screen out here in a second with you because I, I kind of want to show you the flaw in, in this thinking. So the thing ab about ransomware is it, it's it's kind of a piece of software. And so I get asked things like, why can't we detect the signature of this software as as the threat actor is bringing it in? Man, I've got I've got firewalls, I've got intrusion prevention engines, I've got anti-malware. How how come I can't detect a signature, right? Like the ransom note. The ransom note should be the same or uh, you know, a lot of times they'll they'll in the in the malware they'll they'll put the stolen credentials in there or or you know certain uh, malware when it when it does its encryption right so when the malware is actually encrypting the file system it'll skip certain file extensions because it doesn't want to make the system unstable and crash it by encrypting important file system or files so why can't we detect that signature when that malware is inbound? And the answer to that is we, we have to understand what a signature is. A signature is nothing more than a hash. Mm -hmm. And what is a hash? So I have people ask me all the time. And in fact, I've, I've, 
I've, I've kind of made folks stumble a little bit on this where I, I'll ask them what, what type of encryption is hashing? And they go, oh, is it symmetric or is it asymmetric? Well, that, that's a trick question. Hashing is not encryption. Mm-hmm. It's not. Hashing is a mathematic function that actually results in information being lost, right? You're creating a fingerprint of some plain text, right? But but you're, what you're doing is you're diffusing the data, diffusing, not defusing. It's there, there's, there's data diffusion here. It's a digest. You're using a mathematical formula to basically break it down into a fingerprint. Now, here's the interesting thing about hashing, and this is how signatures are built. If I change so much as one byte of my file, right, my my ransomware malware, the hash changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. That's what hashes are supposed to do. That's what data diffusion is supposed to do. So that if so much as one byte changes, the hash utterly changes. We use this to guarantee integrity in things like email messages or or validating that the person who sent it is the one that actually sent it. So hashing is not encryption. Hashing is fingerprinting. If I, as Black Cat, change one bit in my malware, I've just blown your signatures right out of the water. I'm going to show you an example, Robin. This is this yeah. is where I want to share the screen. Let, let's actually look at this in action. If you'll give me just a moment. Uh, so this, this is where you finally show that you're part of Black Cat yourself. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So what I've shared on my screen, I, I've got a, a Windows 11 um, running here uh, in a virtual machine because I want to be safe. And you can see that I've got two files. I've got a file called hello, and I've got a file called erase. You can see that they're actually the same size. Okay. If I execute hello, it basically says hello world, and I can press enter to quit. All right. If I execute erase, uh-oh, I'm erasing your drive. Um, just kidding, right? Hit enter to continue. Now, obviously very different files, even though they're the same size, right? They're executing different code. Interestingly, uh, if I if I drop out here and I'm gonna execute a diff command. So there's my erase. So this is a command that says, are these files different? And of course they're binary files, but you can see that diff says, yeah, these these files are absolutely different. However, if I want to generate a hash, and I'm just going to use MD5 because it's, well, MD5 is weak anyway, but um, MD5 is is very quick. It's an older one. You can see my fingerprint that gets generated. You can see the last digits here, right? If I do the same thing, if I do an MD5 on hello, which we know is a different file, do you notice that the hashes are the same. So this is what's referred to as a hash collision, meaning I've got two different files with different makeup, but the signature is the same. That's the other problem. Hashes can collide, which may lead me to a false positive. So changing one bit changes things dramatically can lead to a false negative but collisions can lead to a false positive. What's my point? What am I getting at? Well, my point is, if you are relying on signatures, Black Cat knows that. They actually know that. So what they do is they will, not only will they change the contents of the malware, but the malware itself gets encrypted 
before they bring it into your environment. Now, once they bring it into your environment, they don't decrypt the entire thing all at once. They do what's called progressive decryption. They decrypt individual portions of the functionality so that any of your engines that are running, hopefully they're able to dodge those engines. And it's it can be very, very effective. How on earth do you prevent something like this? Well, obviously, MGM had a hard time. Uh, in MGM's case, they, at least to date, didn't pay the ransomware. And, and by the way, when we're talking about MGM or we're talking about Caesars, keep in mind that that law enforcement is currently engaged in their investigating. So a lot of these things could, you know, information could could come forth soon, right? That that changes the conversation, so to speak. We're but just using those as an example. You know, they're examples. Authorities. This could happen to any organization, <clears throat> company or individual. So 100%. Hopefully that keeps the lawyers happy. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> exactly. But you're you're 100% right, Robin, on that. And so, you know, keep in mind that simply looking at signatures uh, of a file coming in, we number one, it's so easy to change the signature. Number two, the file is going to come in encrypted anyway, right? And and they any key could be used to do that encryption, and then they will progressively decrypt just to try to stay even quieter. Mm -hmm. So what's to do? What do you do? Well, the key here is really elevating that security conversation, not only by using defense in depth. So, you know, one example, and it's we've talked about this on prior episodes, folks will say, hey, you know, can't I, um, uh, you know, if if I have endpoint protection, I, I don't need next generation anti-malware in a sassy solution sitting on a point of presence. Well, I, I beg to differ, right? If if I'm able to drop your malware, your anti-malware on your endpoint, and there is no other anti-malware in the environment, I'm like a kid in a candy store as a threat actor, right? Okay, cool. Got them, right? Now I just do my lateral movement completely unchecked. Now you really want to have that anti-malware also at the point of presence. The converse holds true too. Oh, if I'm if I do always on with my end users and I know that they actually have to connect to a point of presence that has anti-malware, then I don't need endpoint, do I? Well, no, I, I think you still need endpoint because especially if you do ad hoc, but even with always on, you know, there there are ways that I can get around that too, like plugging in that USB stick and compromising the bootloader, right? Now I can stop your always on from coming on, right? If If you don't lock your laptop in a safe when you're in the hotel room, right? So just just examples why that defense in depth is really necessary. But really, Robin, to kind of to kind of wrap this up, how can I make sure that a, a threat actor like you know Scattered Spider uh, is, is not able to compromise? And you've already said it, Robin. Step one: educate your users. You have got to educate your users. So what are we educating users on? Well, essentially, what we're educating users on is how to identify potentially malicious behavior. That's really what we're doing, right? If my two-factor authenticator is pinging, 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 that's probably bad behavior. It's right? a literal alarm on your phone. That's all it is. And it, that's right. That's right. But you, you need to understand that. You need to understand that that's behavior. You know, one of the big compromises I see happening right now for, for smishing is, 
hey, your package is held up. Click here for the postal system so that we can get details because your address is wrong and you click on it and you log up. Oh, boom, they got your credentials, right? That's happening a lot right now. Educate your users on these behaviors. But when we talk about behaviors, I'm going to share my screen one more time, Robin, with you. I, I want to talk about this. This is the MITRE ATT&CK framework. You know that I love it. People have called me a MITRE fanboy, Robin. But the MITRE ATT&CK framework, I, I think, is, is beautiful for so many reasons. The MITRE ATT&CK framework isn't going to keep your system safe at night. Let's keep that in mind. You don't install MITRE. You don't have a MITRE product, right? The MITRE ATT&CK framework is a framework that begins to look at things from a behavioral perspective. It is a framework that provides data sources that you can investigate for potential compromise. It is a framework that gives mitigation techniques. It is a framework based upon real-world observations. In this case, in this MITRE um, mapping that I have on the attack navigator, and by the way, this is free for anybody to use, right? The, the MITRE attack uh, navigator, you simply go out to the website and you can use it. All of these items that you see colored in, these are behaviors that Scattered Spider uses, okay? And you can almost think of it like the Lockheed Martin kill chain. You start from the left and you progressively work your way through each of the steps. Here's the lateral movement step. Here's where it's collecting information, right? You can see where they do the data exfiltration. You can see where they actually impact the environment. So based on known behaviors, this is how we see scattered spider work, you know, even from the very start where you see multiples in here of how they're collecting information uh, from users, right? Whether it's pulling stuff from browsers, redirecting them to sites and so forth. Now, you'll notice that there's green and there's yellow. So the reason that there's a color difference is that the solution that you and I are so fond of uh, that we bring to the marketplace. Now, I'm not trying to turn this into a commercial, but these are areas where our solution mitigates those things. And you can see it's not all of them, right? There, there are some pieces that we are not able to directly mitigate. But what I'm always looking for on the MITRE ATT&CK framework is can I disrupt an entire column? If I can disrupt an entire column, I've stopped you right? You may use this technique and it fails and this technique and it fails, uh, but all of this one, this one suddenly works, right? This is, as you can see, this is the supply chain. Remember we talked about that, 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 that driver that's signed, that's, that's a vulnerability that happens on that particular endpoint that is at the kernel level that, you know, maybe we're not able to mitigate it, but as we go down the kill chain, look at persistence. Persistence is completely disrupted. This is where the MITRE framework is very valuable, where I can identify those potential choke points to stop them. You also notice that privilege escalation, we're able to stop cold. We're way left on the chain here before we've ever gotten into, for example, lateral movement, which we can potentially stop, right? Um, the entire column. Here's the point. MITRE ATT&CK framework is very useful in this case of understanding how scattered spider works because it's giving you the opportunity and the knowledge base that says, here are the choke points. Even if we weren't talking about the solution that you and I, you know, it's so near and dear to us, I can still use the MITRE ATT&CK framework because it will say monitor these data sources. And if you notice that, that it's happening in these data sources, here are the mitigation techniques. 
Problem is that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, Robin. You're, you're going to kind of want to time it. So I share that information because I think it's very important to start looking at things from a miter attack perspective. It's not the end all be all, but it gives you real world intelligence where you can not only potentially mitigate, but now you can do things like adversary emulation. You can practice in your environment because when the attackers come, and they'll come. Incident response is critical. You have to know how to react in a way that is effective and efficient, right? That that stops that attack. When you have the opportunity to do uh, a SOC assessment, right? If you happen to have a security operations center and you, you do an assessment, you begin to identify areas for improvement in your incident response. When you can do adversary emulation, you can check your security posture. You can check the solution, or if you're unfortunate, the solutions, multiple, that you have to manage from a security perspective. The MITRE ATT&CK framework gives you the ability to do that. So... Boy, what a what a tour into Scattered Spider. It worked, right? Yeah. They were effective. They they compromised users and and uh, you know, for 10 days MGM was down in the case of Caesars, they they paid the ransom. And look, we've talked about paying the ransom. You remember Uncle Bill's six E's? Mm-hmm. We might say don't pay the ransom because you don't know for sure that they're going to act in good faith. Well, you know what? The threat actors are smart to that too. They're starting to say, we will act in good faith because they know that they're not going to make any money if they don't act in good faith. Mm-hmm. So they're they're being just as intelligent about it too, Robin. At the end of the day, it's business and customer satisfaction, customer service and respect matters whether that be Black Cat promoting the good work they're doing, like outbound marketing, or having people like Scattered Spider pro- providing a positive customer experience to increase right. those retention, renew, and upsell rates. At the end of the day, business is business. And business. it all depends on the ethics of the individual and the perception of what you are saying. Just That's like right. Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. And that's exactly the same that is happening out there in the cyber security landscape. People are saying it has defense and attacks, but in reality, it's just a constant evolving war. And just Mm -hmm. like the military out there, you need to constantly practice, you need to constantly simulate, and you need to constantly prepare. Because one day, it won't be a drill, it will be reality. And if you're not ready to tackle that, well, you're going to be in a very, very poor situation. Yeah, Robin, I, I I want to kind of end my comments in the human and social aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Scattered Spider in particular, uh, and 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 their, you know, the the affiliate agreement with Alf V has said that the reason they did then they spoke specifically about MGM, that the reason they did this is that they felt that MGM resorts treats their customers poorly in in the whole lodging experience and they felt that mgm made and these are allegations but that mgm had some shady practices concerning shares in the stock market and investing and and so forth so they feel justified in doing what they're doing this is kind of the robin hood 
uh, syndrome here, right? We're going to to rob from the rich, but we're going to keep it. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, they're they're making a point, and we, and we need to realize that. Look, we understand that we're we're just trying to do business. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to do business, and you know, companies that um, you know mine for lithium to make those beautiful, long living batteries that work in your laptop that enable you to conduct business. You know, to them, that's a good that they're doing and they're they're bringing solutions to the market. And yet, you know, somebody with a, a, a deep concern over the environment may see that as literally stripping the planet of its resources and causing irreparable harm and damage to innocent people, to innocent creatures and so forth. And so they feel socially compelled to do something about that. So you're absolutely right. We have to think of this in human, psychological, behavioral terms. This isn't just bits and bites. And so the race, as you say, will continue. And and we need to, as as people in this industry of cybersecurity, we need to keep that in mind and we need to practice that way. I, I think that's very important. So I love what you said. Well, the race is on and I think that's, we're kind of over time today, Bill. But we thank are. you for that deep dive. It was very much appreciated. And I've come away thinking, I'm not going to leave my laptop unsecured in hotel rooms and i'm also not going to trust the safe in hotel rooms either i think i'll just keep that device firmly attached to my body so Good plan. thank you bill until next time you stay safe out there take care robin